and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shattuck and King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf-Price. On today's episode, we are speaking with labor and employment lawyer, firm leader, and now book author, Lou DiLorenzo. Thanks for joining us today, Lou. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For our listeners, Lou is the managing member of Bond's New York City office, and as I mentioned, practices in labor and employment law. Lou, I can give your bio, but I like to start our conversations um, on the podcast by asking the guests to give us some background on themselves. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your career and background? Sure. Um, so, Kim, I, uh, I started in this field uh, because my uh, dad, who's an Italian immigrant, my mother as well, um, he always had two or three jobs, and his uh, evening job was working in a steel mill about a block from our house. The year I was born, they had a long strike. After that strike, he became active in union matters, eventually becoming the chief uh, uh, grievance chairman at his at the plant and a member of their negotiating committee. And uh, we were in a small town, and so uh, the business agent and the attorney for the union would come to our house. My mother would make a beautiful pasta dinner for everybody, and they would prepare their arbitration cases. They would get ready for negotiations. So our house was kind of union headquarters, if you will. And uh, I was in high school and remember all these conversations and hearing what was going on and it was fascinating to me, just absolutely fascinating. My father was a very conservative man. Uh, We would call him today pro-management. And he thought it was crazy they had a strike and he promised if he got elected, he would avoid a strike. And he did for about the next 30 years. Interestingly, the gentleman, the gentleman that he negotiated against for all those years was the person I replaced as the head of the Bon Shenick and King Labor Department. He hired me as a summer associate in 1975. And uh, then I was offered a job in 76. And I've been with the firm ever since. And I was a labor lawyer working for him and other senior labor lawyers. So that's how I got started. That's really amazing. I mean, what a what a great story that it connects back to what your dad did in, that, in, in high school and that you started with Bond as a summer associate. And um, you practiced first in our Syracuse office, um, mostly, right? Before you opened yeah, New York correct. City? First, uh, when I first started with the firm, that was our only office. Okay. Um, uh, I think the year after I started, we opened our Florida offices and our Albany office. Um, but yeah, that was our only office. So for about 25 maybe 27 or 28 years I practiced out of our Syracuse office. And then you opened our New York City office. You were right. You were part of the group that yep. brought us to New York. Yep. In fact, I uh, brought the our first Buffalo office. It was a small labor boutique with about nine labor lawyers. A good friend of mine became managing partner. I went back to my law school reunion and met him and convinced him and his partners to join our firm and open the Buffalo office. That's great. And then we did the same thing in New York City and, and Garden City with two good friends, two very good labor boutiques, Benatar Bernstein and Reigns and Pogerman people. Um, yeah. So that's how we got started in New York and Long Island. That's great. I've had the privilege of working with uh, Mike Bernstein on his New York State Bar Association's Diversity and Inclusion Committee for a long time. So uh, he's uh, one of he's usually called one of the shining lights of the labor and employment law bar in in New York City. He's just a terrific lawyer. Had a great career. That's great. Well, what I find fascinating about labor and employment law is how it's a blend of litigation and client counseling, regulatory schemes. Was it that? 
pace and breadth of work that really drew you to it beyond your experiences with your dad? I, you know, I think, uh, yes, uh, to answer your question, and you're right, you put your finger on what makes it so fascinating, but it's very people-oriented. Um, you know, uh, uh, unlike litigation, for example, commercial litigation, you know, those are products liability or a business interaction or a car accident. Um, you know, labor and employment law, especially employment law, both labor and employment law, more, it's more, the closest area, I'd say, is family law. Um, it's about relationships between people. It's a culture between the employees and the employer. Every case is really a blip on the continuum of the relationship between the two parties. The case is not a live-all and end-all by itself. It fits into what kind of a philosophy, strategy, relationship, culture are we going to have at this place of business, uh, whether it's a professional organization or a blue-collar organization or a school district or a municipality, everyone is different. It's so challenging to deal with those differences. It's almost as though, I hate to say this, but it's almost as though the law oftentimes is secondary. The law provides the rules uh, of engagement, if you will. But what's important is the relationship between the parties and what that's going to look like after this case is over. Um, yeah, much like a family, much like a family relationship versus so litigation, counseling, regulatory, those are all issues, challenges, bumps in the road, things we have to help our clients overcome and deal with as they try to achieve their cultural objectives and what they're trying to do with their business, which is what we try to keep our eye on as opposed to, you know, it, it helps to define for us how do we win a case? What's a win in a case? Right, because they don't want to lawyer their employees or their culture. They want to manage and develop, but the law still has to be part of the framework. Exactly. I'll give you a quick example of a case I had in federal court where an employee, not too long ago, an employee was fired. We went to arbitration. The arbitrator gave the employee a six-month suspension, but put him, put him back to work without any back pay. Afterwards, he got a lawyer and sued the union and sued the company for unfair representation and breach of the labor contract because he didn't think he should have been suspended for six months. Cases in federal court, I go to the first conference, the magistrate judge in federal court asked to see, I happen to know her, and she asked to see the plaintiff and the plaintiff's lawyer alone for a few minutes first. And then she came out and got me, her clerk came out and got me, and I went into her chambers alone. And she said, I got good news for you. I settled your case. And I go, you settled my case. How could you settle my case? Right. And she said, it's only going to be $1,500. And I said, unless you're going to pay them, the case is not settled. And she said, what do you mean? You're going to charge more than that the next day or so on this case. And I said, no, it's not the money. I said, we have 1,500 employees at that plant. This is the third case that lawyer has had at our plant. We have a final binding arbitration process between the company and the union. Our cases end with that process. If I settle this case for $1,500, everybody we fire from now on, the fifth step of the grievance procedure is going to be your office for somebody to pick up $1,500 in severance pay that normally right. we wouldn't have any interest in paying. So I cannot settle this case. I have to win this case to preserve the integrity of our resolution process, which is very important to us. So it's that kind of a, it's just different than, like I said, a car accident or 
medical malpractice or or even a piece of commercial litigation with a one-time vendor and, and a contractor or owner, that kind of thing. Yeah, just very different from any of the commercial litigation or security stuff I've worked on where we want the, the win. We're not thinking about the culture exactly and, and, and the long-term effects there. Exactly. Um, what, really what, is, what is this? You know, when you do a scorched earth litigation in the employment area, you have to make sure you understand what the landscape is going to look like after we put everything back together because the case is temporary. The employment we hope is for a much longer period of time, the employment relationship. Right. And I think people don't realize how much, you know, all corporate lawyers, but particularly in labor and employment have to think and understand their client's business and the goals of the business and the culture of the business to make sure that things are moving in the right direction. Uh, absolutely. I mean, when I meet a new client, I try to find out as much. I, uh, many of my clients, I'll go through their training programs. If they have, you know, a three or four or five day training program that uh, most of their people achieve, I mean, that is uh, that is incredibly helpful for me to understand, you know, what the business is like, what's expected of the employees. Um, I typically tell new people, I'm just a lawyer. I don't make policy. I'm not going to tell you how to run your business or what your business should look like. That's your decision. I'm just going to help you to get from A to Z. When you tell me your objective is to go from here to there, I'm going to give you the options on how to get there. Um, as long as what you ask me to do is not illegal. So as a result, you know, we don't run at one speed. Our firm is well known for running at different speeds. We uh, Sometimes people will say, do you have any union reps that can give you a reference? And I have several that are good friends of mine that we've negotiated against each other for 30 years. I have others that, uh, frankly, when I had my open heart surgery, I got a couple of notes from some of them saying, I really want to know this doctor's name because I don't know how he found your heart. Oh, dear. But that's because, that's because we had some very difficult negotiations, difficult right? strikes, but that's because we did what our clients wanted us to do, which is what our job is, not to make policy, but to get results for our clients. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, so in the midst of all this, this incredibly busy labor and employment practice, and during challenging times in our wor world, and while you know a topic for another day, working on adding a prominent boutique labor firm to Bond, um, you decided to write a book, uh, <laughs> New York Employment Law, The Essential Guide. I'm not sure where you fit that in. Um, how did the idea for this book come about? Well, uh, the Bar Association, the New York State Bar Association, has a great library of publications. And uh, I would see the marketing material in their brochures at the annual meeting and emails that we get and ads that we see. And I noticed that there was no comprehensive uh, book on labor and employment law, New York labor and employment law. There is a comprehensive book uh, on New York public sector labor law. Um, there's the Taylor Act which governs uh, public sector uh, labor issues. And of course, there's a civil service law and a whole body of law that relates only to municipal employees is not applicable to employees in the private sector. Um, I thought we needed a corresponding, the Bar Association should have a corresponding book uh, for the nuances of New York employment law. And there are many. Um, New York has such a long history and tradition going back you know, oftentimes uh, we have cases even now that we hire a decision, we cite decisions from uh, the 1800s, uh, employment at will doctrine. Uh, New York has always been a center of commerce since revolutionary days. And uh, 
the city has always uh, uh, had a, an incredible commercial tradition and history. And as a result, we have a very rich history of employment law uh, made in New York and copied in many other jurisdictions. But there are a lot of nuances that are unique and special to New York um, as opposed to other states. And no such book in the Bar Association library existed. So when I approached the Bar Association about this idea, they, uh, they thought it was a great idea and immediately said, uh, you got it. And, you know, it's a little unfair, Kim, for you to say uh, you wrote this book during the COVID because um, there are some 80 labor and employment law lawyers in our firm statewide, and that's really the group that wrote the book. We uh, uh, was really more project management than, uh, than uh, the real heavy lifting and getting people to do it and stay on it and edit it and uh, make it look cohesive when it was done with so many different uh, so many different styles put together and contributions, but the contributions were amazing. We had so many people that are experts in different areas. I don't know if another firm could have wrote this book from Buffalo to, you know, uh, garden city. Uh, we cover the state with experienced labor lawyers. At one point in the introduction, I think I was going to put in the number of years of experience. The group that wrote this book had, um, in terms of labor and employment law practice years, right. I stopped counting. I stopped counting at three thousand. Um, that's the number of years these yeah. eighty people have been practicing, um, and and they were able to uh, go into insights in this book that you can't get anywhere. And we thought it would be a great book for New York practitioners, for general practitioners in New York that dabble a bit in employment law. And also uh, attorneys outside the state of New York that are wandering, have some dealings or a client with some interaction in the employment area within New York State and want to know about the nuances. What has to be in, an, in a, uh, a release and a waiver if they uh, enter a severance agreement with an employee? Uh, what are the rules on unemployment? Uh, what are the rules on workers' comp? What are the rules that uh, outline employment at will and promissory estoppel and all those kinds of issues? What, what's the significance of particular provisions in a handbook? Uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing that you noticed a gap, you know, that New York State Bar didn't have this. And then you're like, well, let's fill it. And that the, um, the attorneys at the firm really um, in the labor department were all part of it. I was, as I was reading sections of it and looking through, I mean, you have associates, you have you know, some a retired partner, a now retired partner is your mm-hmm. co-editor and just all, all the names. I'm like, hey, wait, I know all these people. And it's really <laughs> great to see all the uh, the contributions and the different the different people who really came forward to help with the book. It's 12 detailed chapters with subtopics and it's almost a Q&A format. It, was there a reason you picked this format and that you, you sort of organized it this way? I found it very easy to read and, um, but, and figure my questions out? I, uh, uh, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, what happened was we presented, uh, I presented this idea to the entire group and said, it's going to be a lot of work. I'm not going to sign up for this with the Bar Association unless we're all committed to it. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of time. Uh, what, what, what do you say? Shall we do it? And shall we be known? as the firm that wrote the book about labor and employment or employment law in New York. And everybody agreed and true to their word, they stayed with it and we met our deadlines and we got it done. And we have a commitment uh, from the bar association 
that we will be the ones that supply a supplement every couple of years and keep the book updated, which will be fun to do, much less work than this. You asked about the question and answer format. Um, I think uh, I chose it because I thought it would be the audience I just described to you of uh, HR professionals, uh, uh, general practice attorneys uh, in New York that dabble in employment and labor law, and people from outside the state. Sometimes they can't even quite realize how to phrase the question. Um, so we thought that this was a very conversational approach. I didn't want it to be a, you know, a legal tomb that uh, uh, you know, law students used once in a while and uh, you know, a- academicians would consult. I really wanted it to be a book that people wear the cover out uh, looking for answers to questions. And so the question and answer format appeared to be the easiest one, conversational, much like we approach, much like we approach the, uh, you know, the practice of law. It doesn't do any, us any good to know the law in and out if we can't explain it to the people that we represent so they understand it. And that's what the book is designed to do, take some cons- uh, sometimes complicated, even convoluted legal principles and turn them into a simple question and an answer that people can understand as they apply it to their workplace. Yeah, I can see people having tabbed copies of this on their desk or near them with the questions that they go to sort of often. And I think if I were a leader of a business, a non-lawyer, I would want to have a copy of it so I could sort of figure out what I wanted to ask my counsel because I think it helps those conversations too. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, there's probably some lawyers that would say, my God, you put a book together with 450 questions and answers. Uh, aren't you providing, you know, for $100 or whatever it's being sold for, um, uh, free legal advice to people, and they're not going to call you to get answers to the questions. Th- that's not how we've approached uh, the sharing of our knowledge of the law at Bunchen and King, both with our webinars, our client alerts, uh, the material uh, we believe that uh, the best clients uh, are the ones that are most educated and understand what the issues are. Uh, there's going to be plenty of work. Um, yeah. uh, and, and, and we don't need to hoard the answers and hide them from our clients. So to the extent those questions can help them and make them, you know, better uh, users of uh, the legal process and the issues that they're presented with, that, that was our goal. I think that's terrific because it's it isn't legal advice. It's a guide, and it's a way to have better conversations so you get to the answers sooner and you get to the right answers. Right, took us a lot of time. You know, uh, 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 it takes a lot of time for partners uh, in a law firm to pick out the color of the rugs uh, in the <laughs> office, and it and it takes a lot. It took a lot of time to pick out the title of this book, but the guide that you talked about is the word that. Um, seem to fit what we were trying to do here, provide a guide. And the word essential before guide was to fit what you just talked about, where people dog, dog, hopefully dog ear the pages, put some tabs in, wear the cover out. We want it to be essential. We want it to be something that it's a go-to book for people that are trying to deal with New York employment law. Well, I really like that, Lou, that, that it's an essential guide and that that's why that's the name that was chosen because it's something that helps advance conversations with clients and, um, and gives people basic information to be more knowledgeable about what they do. 
So I think it's a perfect name. Were there any challenges while you were writing this? Oh, yes, there were many. I mean, and, and most of it is uh, the demands that were on individual people, uh, you know, during the process, trying to do their work and also trying to answer uh, what I was uh, uh, trying to get them to do for their chapter or their section of a chapter. And then the biggest, I think the single biggest challenge was taking all this content that everybody did and all this knowledge and then trying to make it sound like uh, a read, like one person wrote it. And really, the, the, you know, the, the, the best editing in this process came from uh, two retired partners, Dan Bordoni and John Gall, and now Jeff Keel, uh, who's now retired recently. Uh, I, I think he stayed on until the book was finished. But the three of them uh, just are terrific. They're, there's, they're three of the best writers I've ever seen throughout their career in the firm and uh, very intelligent people and very knowledgeable. So they were perfect to take all of that and adopt this, this style that would make it look as much as possible that uh, 80 people spoke with one voice. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you've got some award-winning um, writers as your editors and the fact that even retired members would still want to be part of this. I think that speaks volumes as well. I agree. I agree with you 100%. And no, no hesitation when I asked for the help. Um, and it was, it, it was uh, weeks of editing um, and no hesitation to do something good for their department, uh, which they've been, you know, Dan and John are 40 plus year contributors to the department and uh, right. its success over the years. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So I was going to ask you about five points. I imagine that's one of them. Right, getting to still work with colleagues mm -hmm. on that. Um, were there other sort of high points in the process as well? Well, I mean, uh, uh, when the book was finished, obviously that was just a tremendous uh, feeling of accomplishment from everyone. But I think one of the high points was to watch this labor and employment law department that uh, you know spans uh, 500 miles across New York State. And the quality of the work that was produced, the cooperative effort that was made by everyone, you know, new associate to retired partner to say, this is a good thing for my firm. This is a good thing for my department. I'm not going to get paid any extra for doing it. In fact, it's going to have to come out of my free time with my family and so on to, to watch people agree to do that enthusiastically and then carry through on it, I would have to say that was, I was very, very, I'm very, very proud of uh, this group of people, you know, what they've accomplished, what they can do. And, you know, uh, COVID was nothing to them. You know, they uh, rolled up their sleeves and figured out what they're going to do. And it's just another, just another uh, challenge in the road to overcome just amazing people. And so it was great to see that project from start to finish. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a testament to how everyone works together and to the depth of the bench. I mean, I look at the topics and everything from wages and salary to time off, oral employment agreements, enforceable, whether they're enforceable, unemployment insurance, disciplinary issues, director and officer issues, which I almost called DNO, because, <laughs> um, and then, you know, time off, at, at just such a wide range of topics. It really does it's a testament to the deep bench, as we would say, um, in this practice, in this department at Bon Chenick and King. I agree with you. I mean, the scope of work, uh, you know, from safety to every, every possible issue that can occur in the workplace, from sexual harassment to 
you know, everything. The land, the a lot of the advertising that the Bar Association had done, they've they've identified it as a landmark publication of theirs, and I, and I think they really feel that way. That's what they've told us. They expect uh, you know great things from this book. I think uh, last month we outsold uh, Governor Cuomo's book on leadership. So I think we're I think we're making some progress. That's fantastic. I love it. And well, as an active uh, New York State Bar person myself, um, I'm glad that you're for, you know helping out our bar association. I think that's that's Absolutely. fantastic. We have, as you know, we have I think the largest voluntary bar association in the country, about seventy thousand yes. members, something like that. And it's a terrific bar association. I was delighted to see that we could partner with them and they'd be interested in having this book. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, a really remarkable team effort with a very busy practice um, for everyone involved. And then the extra challenges of the, um, the additional service work that people were doing, not just the client work during the pandemic as you were wrapping this up. Um, it, it's really it's very impressive, I have to say. Very Thank impressive. You. I think landmark is the right word. But before I let you go, any final thoughts on labor law issues um, during a changing administration and, and difficult times? Well, you know, uh, it's going to be a busy time for employers and labor and employment law lawyers as, uh, as President Biden. Uh, you know, yesterday we had the first union leader confirmed as a secretary of labor in the history of the country. Um, he's made uh, significant changes in the NLRB already. Uh, even in past administrations, uh, Trump, Bush, so on, they didn't really touch the NLRB for a year or two into their administration. He did it immediately. Um, there's a big agenda on the union side. And, you know, we have a, what's been happening in the last 10 or 15 years is the federal, our federal national labor policy uh, has been, you know, somewhat pro-employer. And what, what's happened is uh, in the blue states, You've seen a lot of changes in the law, uh, state statutes, uh, to try to promote unions, uh, promote uh, pro-employee. So you see a much greater, when I started practicing labor and employment law, national federal law was what was important. State law was not very significant. To fill that gap and to turn the tide against employers, uh, the blue states have enacted a great deal of legislation designed to assist the employee and unions wherever possible. So we now have this great body of state law out there, including in New York, which is a blue state, obviously. And you see that show up in questions and answers in the book. Um, so I think we're going to see now a time period where national labor policy is going to try to catch up with some of these progressive state statutes that have been enacted in the blue states, and you're going to see, you know, neck and neck uh, federal labor policy uh, trying to catch up with some of those things. I mean, this new PRO Act uh, that's passed the House and is headed to the Senate is, a, is the most radical labor bill since 1935. One of the things it would do is prohibit states from having uh, right-to-work statutes, which is uh, incredibly uh, uh, incredibly radical on the scheme of uh, how things have worked in this country. So there's a number of those. There's probably 30 or 40 changes, including outlaw, outlawing arbitration agreements, a number of changes that would be yeah. significant if passed. Even in any form, if that bill is passed, it's going to be very significant. Yeah, and so um, there's a lot to be um, in contact with your labor lawyers about if you're leading an organization. And I think that this guide will be helpful because you're right, in New York State, 
you know, our, we have the history, our regulatory schemes, our legit, our um, statutory schemes are, are different and have developed differently. And so while people are looking out at that on the federal level, they're going to want to make sure they stay informed in New York state as well. And this guide would be a good way to do that. I think you're right. No, I think you're, I think you're very right. Well, thank you, Lou. It's always great to talk to you and to learn from you. I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate you setting this time aside to talk to us. Oh, oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. We appreciate it. Everybody that worked on the book appreciates it. Thank you. The book, New York Employment Law, The Essential Guide, is available at www.nisba.org, the New York State Bar's website, Bonchenk and King's website, bsk.com, and also amazon.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Legally Bond. If you are listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone from the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is attorney advertising.